this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to be discussing white-black in Lost Caverns of Ixalan. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. And what you should know about white-black is that it is currently the second worst performing deck, uh, just ahead of red-black on 17 lands. As has been a recurring theme, with my podcast and stream and general sentiment, this set, I don't put a lot of stock in what people are having success with on 17 lands uh, in this format, but that's it's kind of where it's falling for the general public. My belief is generally when this happens, partially it can be just a result of uh, the colors being very weak um, and just like poor balance in the set, but another common cause of um, specific archetypes performing poorly is when the archetype is somehow tricking people. Uh, like if there's a theme that is present and supported in the set, but not good, such that drafters are tricked into pursuing the thing that the colors tell them to do when that thing isn't actually like strategically viable that typically causes people to have a really low win rate in that particular color combination that's like a little bit disproportionately unsuccessful compared to how strong the cards in those colors individually might be. Uh, I think that that's kind of going on in terms of explaining why red-black is the worst performing color combination because it has this if you descended this turn theme but I don't think very many of the if you descended this turn cards are worth playing, even if you're like a red-black deck that's pretty good at doing that thing. And so when the set tells you to go out of your way to support a bunch of bad cards that aren't good even once you've gone out of your way to support them, then you end up with a really weak deck. And... I think that's also kind of happening with white-black, where it's kind of asking you to make some like one ones and then find a way to sacrifice them, but there's not really like a machine that you're assembling that does something impressive when you do that. Like, in decks and formats where that's been moderately effective, usually what's happening is there's a creature that's very efficient to sacrifice. There's a thing that lets you sacrifice creatures to get something you care about. And then there are other things that trigger off of that happening. And then you get like multiple things that trigger off of a single event and you start generating like big payoffs at relatively low costs. And what this set is missing is those other things that care about that act of sacrificing happening or like caring about your creatures dying or being dead or something. Like there are good recursive spells and I guess those can take advantage of like a creature having died and gone to your graveyard. But a lot of the creatures that you're being asked to sacrifice are tokens that don't go to your graveyard. And the recursive spells are like very easy 
to enable without going through all the trouble of sacrificing a creature. And then independently from that, the stuff that you're getting for sacrificing creatures for the most part isn't very significant. So while the theme is fairly widely present, like there are a lot of cards that make tokens and a lot of cards that let you sacrifice the tokens, it's not very well supported in that there aren't a lot of external payoffs for doing that thing. Like there's, there's no Blood Artist or similar card and that really matters. So basically, I don't think that you should work very hard to generate objects or to be able to sacrifice objects. So given that, there are two different approaches to white-black, which I mean basically the two, uh, two extreme ends of a spectrum where the ends are aggro and control and the spectrum is tempo versus attrition. And when I say there are two approaches, what I mean is if I were drafting white-black, I would be trying to position my deck on one extreme or the other end of that spectrum. But in reality, the way that most people draft white-black, they're just going to be playing some white and black cards, and they're not going to be thinking a whole lot about where on that spectrum their deck is like trying to occupy. They're, I suspect, based on what I've seen from like the recent trophy decks and what I know of how people draft, uh, I think most people are basically just trying to take the best card out of every pack, which is respectable, but the best card is a contextual question. And so I think that you can take better cards if your cards are supporting a strategy. And I think it's easier to understand that strategy if you understand like where on this tempo spectrum you're trying to place your deck. Uh, so for me, I think of white-black as somewhat, I don't know, bifurcated or polarized or whatever, where you want to be um, drafting a deck that does something, and that thing is either pretty aggressive or very attrition-y. In the aggressive deck, I'm looking to have like three or more one or two mana flying creatures. Um, I believe that the full set of creatures I'm discussing are... Miner's Guidewing, the 1-1 one, one common with Flying and Vigilance that uh, lets something else explore when it dies, for one. Rune Lurker Bat, the uncommon 1-1 one, one Flying Lifelink creature that lets you scry if you've descended. And the uh, Deep Cavern Bat, the 1-1 uh, one, one Flying Lifelink that takes a card from your opponent's hand in black, uh, also uncommon. So a single common and two uncommons I think are kind of the most important cards in the aggressive white-black deck. And like I said, I really want at least three total of those cards. I would feel good about my deck if I had like five or more of them. Um, and if I only have one or two of them, then I don't really think it's enough to like inform the rest of my deck. The more of them I have, the more interested I am in playing cards like Iron Paw Aspirant and Glorifier of Suffering then that can put counters on those creatures to create a better clock. And then that I can also play cards like Deconstruction Hammer, uh, the one mana plus one plus one equipment that you can tap a creature and spend three mana and sacrifice it to kill an artifact or enchantment. 
and Fungal Fortitude, uh, the one in a black and flash enchant creature that gives plus two power and when the creature dies, return it to the battlefield. I like to be able to just proactively deploy Fungal Fortitude rather than purely using it as like an undying evil type effect, uh, like a, a card that protects a creature that's about to die and brings it back. Um, I think that being able to just go like turn one, play a one, one flyer, turn two, put another chance or put Fungal Fortitude on it and attack for three in the air and now when your opponent deals with this creature it comes back i think that's um like an important piece of functionality for fungal fortitude to have and then the more you have like deconstruction hammers and fungal fortitudes and uh aspirants and glorifiers the more you end up being interested in other flying creatures or like kinjali's double strike or whatever its name is the three mana one one double strike explorer creature so there's like some amount of support for an aggressive deck, but it really needs to start with those cheap flyers because otherwise I think that the cards that are like making your creatures bigger, they don't make sense in your deck if they're not going on creatures that have good keywords and come down early. And in my experience, it's not easy to get a lot of cheap flying creatures in white-black. Also, the more I look at like the cards that I'm interested in this white aggressive deck, that's you know like Miner's Guidewing and Ultec Cloudguard, the four mana three two flying creature that makes a one one deconstruction hammer, Iron Paw, Paw Aspirant, Glorifier of Suffering, maybe some Tinkerer's Totes. There aren't really like that many black cards I'm interested in. Like I'm interested in Tithing Blade if and only if I'm not playing Petrify. I'm interested in Fungal Fortitude, but it's kind of an afterthought. Deadweight's like an okay removal spell. But black's not really like helping you with your aggressive draws unless it's like exactly Deep Cavern Bat. And so I think if you happen to be in a place where you're seeing like Guidewings at a reasonable cost, you shouldn't likely be trying to pair that with black you can but i don't know that it's better than any other color that leaves the control version of the deck which is basically the only way that i see myself actually drafting the deck really the method that i'm going to take to drafting this deck is assume at all points in the beginning of the draft that i am drafting a controlling attrition based white black deck but value the 1-1 flyers relatively highly because they're serviceable cards in that deck in that cheap creatures are just generally good that have high upside in that if I get several of them at a relatively low cost, then I can pivot my deck to be a little bit more aggressive and that might be worth doing. But I'm not going to be taking guidewings over cards that are better in controlling decks and i'm not going to be expect i'm not going to be taking any of the aggressive support cards just in case i end up seeing the guidewings i'm going to be assuming that i'm drafting a control deck until proven otherwise so in the control deck the commons that i'm looking for are tithing roughly in order but this is very loose Tithing Blade, the one in a black artifact that makes your opponent sacrifice a creature and can craft into an enchantment that, or an artifact that drains your opponent for one every turn. Fanatical Offering, the uh, one in a black sacrifice a creature artifact, draw two cards, make a map instant. 
Quicksand Whirlpool, the white exile creature for six that costs only three if it's exiling a tapped creature. Join the Dead, the black minus five minus five instant removal spell that gives minus ten minus ten if you've descended. Another chance, the three mana mill two get two creatures back card. Soaring Sandwing, the white land cycle, uh, the three five flyer that gains three life. Uh, Deadweight, uh, Primordial Gnar, the five mana five two that uh, discovers three when it dies, and Ultek Archaeologist, the five mana four four that returns an artifact or scries three when it enters. Basically, I'm looking for removal and cheap plays and card advantage in roughly that order. There is a theme that exists in white that you can kind of modularly apply to any white deck, which is the Tinker's Tote, Gem Guard, Adaptive Gem Guard, Ultek, the, the one mana scry to thing that turns into a 1-4 flyer that can launch one of your creatures into the air. If you have like a multiple of uh, each, especially Tinker's Tote, of those commons, then you have this like kind of cohesive go-wide attack with a gem guard strategy that you can kind of slot into any deck. Similarly, in black, there's the another chance Deathcap Marionette and then really any very strong uncommon or rare creatures package uh, where the better your best creatures are and the more like top tier creatures you have the better another chance and then as a function of another chance the better uh, deathcap marionettes are so you can kind of like slot in either or both of the white and black like go wide package and the black recursion package as appropriate tier draft neither is i think essential to what white black is control is doing notably i think that um tinkerer's tote isn't that high of a priority in white black i think it ends up being kind of low impact a lot of the time there are cards that work well with it where that make you want it but by default, it's not as high a priority as I imagined it might be when I thought that the sacrificing creatures thing could be a little bit better supported. Ultek Cloud Guard is just kind of generally worth discussing. That's the 3-2 flyer that makes a 1-1 for 3 and a white. Uh, on 17 lands, it is the best performing common in this archetype. It is not the common that I value most highly in this archetype, I think that it is at its best in the mid-range version of this deck where you're just kind of looking for generally good cards and you don't have a very focused game plan. I think that like the more focused your game plan is in either direction, the more you want cheap cards. Um, the aggressive deck will use the cheap cards uh, for, you know, curving out and uh, attacking, getting damage in with evasive creatures. And the control deck will be uh, optimized to be able to spend mana throughout the game pretty efficiently using card draw and craft abilities 
and will be uh, most interested in shoring up its early game to make sure that it doesn't fall behind. And neither deck particularly values a like border like a barely above rate four drop um, that it, like doesn't clearly support either plan and is just like a good card. This is to say. I'm not unhappy to play Cloud Guard in either deck, but it's never going to be the common that I'm like most hoping to see in any given pack in any given deck. It is the best four mana common. I'm just not very invested in putting any commons that cost four mana in my deck. So the thing that I want to be doing is efficiently trading, getting us low on resources, and then winning with craft abilities uh flipping tithing blades and flipping white uncommon cards with craft abilities and because i want to be maximizing cheap cards and playing a lot of one for one removal and the options for card advantage are somewhat limited you have mephitic draft and which is the uh artifact that draws a card when you lose life and draw a card when it enters or when it dies um, you have that, which you can combine with Fanatical Offering. Um, those cards are, like, combining them is fine. You end up spending a decent amount of mana to not directly affect the board, uh, but you do generate a decent number of cards, so if it's supported by a lot of other spot removal, it can play pretty well, especially if you have, like, other cheaper ways to um, sacrifice uh, the draft. But... I don't really want to have like huge numbers of those cards and I also feel like they don't go as late as I kind of want them to. So the result is that I can end up in a deck that has less card advantage than I would like. And the best way to supplement that, in my opinion, is to prioritize caves a little bit more highly. Then, if you uh, run out of stuff to spend your mana on and you've drawn too many lands, you can just use a cave to discover to um, keep doing things. So I believe that this deck wants to prioritize caves relatively highly. A function of wanting to prioritize caves highly is that you are a little bit more inclined to splash uh, so that you can play some of those off-color cave payoffs and you can uh, value some um, off-color or fix enabling caves and this is like an, you know a deck that's trying to play very long games anyway so it's already in a space where it would be inclined to splash so i think that white black is a deck that splashes very well uh, the more controlling the better as i say when talking about splashing in literally every deck ever so i like to draft white black with a heavy artifact theme and a heavy cave theme and a function of wanting a heavy artifact theme and a heavy cave theme is that the color that I'm most inclined to splash is blue. Esper, uh, Esper Cave Artifacts, I think, is a very coherent deck because you get to use uh, all of the payoffs um, for the like white-black artifact control deck while supplementing with removal and uh, extra crafting from Tithing Blade. And then... Uh, the puzzle door fuels uh, your crafting really well while also fueling descend um, and like the another chance stuff from black. So you end up with a like 
very coherent um, craft-based control deck in Esper, and that can be really any mix of those three colors. And the cards that you get access to, uh, like Master's Guide Mural and um, taking good advantage of clay-fired bricks and stuff like that, um, those are the kinds of cards that you end up relying on for uh, your late game. Um, and then also uh, Iceberg plays really well in this space. So my willingness to move into, well, this was really just an Esper deck and why would I ever draft straight white-black is pretty high. But sometimes, you know, blue's not open and white and black are and you don't end up seeing enough, like, blue cards that you'd want to splash. And so you end up uh, straight white-black or maybe white-black splashing some kind of, you know, uh, late-game, like, recursive uh, green card or a cave-in or something like that. Another random card I want to jump to discussing is Mischievous Pup. I want to mention this because so this is the 3-1 uh, for 2 and a white with Flash. When it enters, you can return a non-land permanent. I think it's non-land. Maybe it's just anything. I don't know. You can return something to your hand. Um, this card has a remarkably low win rate, uh, including when restricted to looking at top players only which is a little bit surprising to me because I think that it's very good if you have uh, a number of tithing blades and saw blades. Basically, the dog likes blades. It's acceptable with, like, icebergs or something as a backup plan, but really the more blades you have, the better it is. The one other card that it's possibly even better with is Bat Colony, if you are, you know, very properly supporting the bat colony such that it's making three creatures, picking that up with the pup is extremely powerful. If you are not picking up um, something, like, really good to pick up, then you shouldn't be playing the pup. Um, like, if you think of pup as, well, my plan is to pick up a card, something that just draws a card then you basically have, you know, five mana, three, one uh, flash draw card, which is like a bad Diadect Echo, although probably better because you can split the mana up over two turns. But certainly nothing to be excited about, especially if like sometimes it's going to be worse than that. Um, every now and then it'll like save a petrified creature or something, and then it's kind of like drawing the card of your choice, which is a little bit better. But overall, I think that the pup is pretty good if you are blades heavy and otherwise pretty bad. But uh, I do think that it's not a card that you should entirely dismiss due to its low win rate. I think it's a card that you should play selectively. I should also mention, maybe this goes without saying, maybe uh, if you aren't super familiar with how I draft, it doesn't. All versions of controlling white-black decks are decks where I am interested in Hoverstone Pilgrim, the more blue I'm playing and or the more cards that I'm playing that say uh, you may mill two cards, the more interested I am in Hoverstone Pilgrim. But um, it's an artifact. It's a good blocker. It's good in long games and looping isn't off the table. So uh, I do want it in my deck. Broadly, I think that like my mindset when drafting white black is pretty similar to my mindset when drafting other black decks 
the uh, biggest difference being keeping an eye out for when I end up with like a lot of uh, cheap flyers and considering pivoting to the, like a more aggressive role. And more importantly, uh, prioritizing artifacts um, wherever, like when in doubt, if there's a card that you can take that's an artifact and another comparable card that's not an artifact, uh, in usually in black in that spot, I err toward taking the creature to make my another chances as good as possible. In white-black, you often want to err toward taking the artifact to make your uh, craft with artifact white cards and your um, archaeologists uh, as good as possible, um, rather than trying to take uh, creatures generically to maximize another chance. I talked about how, in general, I don't think that there's like a lot of payoff for doing the like one ones and sacrifice them thing there are i think a few exceptions uh the most notable outside of rare reason to really care about going wide i believe is abyssal gore stalker the six mana six six uh etb both players sacrifice two creatures um i think that that's a card that like meaningfully increases how interested you are in cards like Tinker's Tote and the black uncommon 3-1 that makes two funguses when it dies. I think that uh, Gore Stalker, especially in conjunction with Another Chance, is like a reasonable like late game plan for these decks. And when you're doing that, you do want to try to like break the synergy by having one one to sacrifice uh snails are another good one one to sacrifice there snail interest incidentally the one one for uh, one in a black that makes your opponent exile a card snail is a card i'm pretty low on in this format i prefer in my defensive decks to play a card basically in all decks i think that how much you're impacting the battlefield in the early turns actually matters and because it's hard to run out of stuff to do in this format, thanks to stuff like the Discover Caves, making your opponent exile a card of their choice from their hand is relatively less effective uh, because like, you're probably not going to make them like skip a turn because of having done that most of the time. So you're like falling behind by like a mana or like half a card or whatever on the board uh in exchange for like putting your opponent down a resource in hand but i think that like the tempo aspect of that situation usually ends up uh mattering enough that's not a good exchange um the more removal you like it is possible to be good enough at like attacking your opponent's resources that uh the snail ends up making sense in a white black deck but i think that it is drafted more highly than i'm usually willing to fight for it but abyssal gore stalker would be a key piece in making me value the snail a little bit more highly i think that basically covers what i have to say about this deck so to recap it is possible to draft an aggressive deck here if you try to do that i think you want to really prioritize uh creatures with good keywords notably flying you want a very low curve if you have that, you can start thinking about cards that increase the power of your creatures. 
Um, you can potentially support that in the late game with like go wide type stuff like Tinkerer's Tote and Cloud Guard that can potentially support the War Scribe as a payoff. But for the most part, I think that like aggressive white black is worse at being an aggressive deck than most other white pairs. I don't think that black feeds into the aggressive game plan very well. If you are not trying to be aggressive, I think you want to actively try to play an attrition game and to be controlling uh, more than to play a mid-range game. And I think that you really want to focus on cheap cards and not falling behind early and keeping pace with your opponent and uh, just grinding down cards uh, such that you're playing a small game where you have objects in play that have craft abilities and then you uh, like win in the late game by activating those craft abilities. That's kind of the fundamental game plan for white black. You can uh, also end up activating cave abilities instead of craft abilities as a supplemental strategy for your mid to late game um, mana usage in your uh, removal heavy white black deck. You should also be inclined to splash liberally, prioritize caves highly, and uh, make sure that you're not leaving powerful cards that you could draft and put it in your deck uh, on the table just because they might require bending your mana a little bit. I think those are the key takeaways. So with that covered, I'm going to turn it over to chat for questions. And uh, while I'm letting chat uh, give me those questions, I do want to thank the newest patrons this week. So thank you very much to Jonas, Derek, and DLP for the support. I uh, really appreciate it. If anyone else is interested in supporting the podcast, be sure to check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. So questions. Uh, first question, which two drop creatures do you prioritize? Uh, assuming that I'm not prioritizing um, uh, the snail. Two drops that I really want to be prioritizing are uh, Tithing Blade. Um, and then I also don't mind Clay-Fired Bricks and saw blades and mephitic drafts but uh the real answer in terms of two mana creatures uh yeah probably death cat marionette marionette and echo of dusk uh those are the black creatures that i generally prioritize in white i'm not a big fan of the two two that scries and it becomes tapped i'm not a big fan of the one two that puts a counter on something though Maybe I like it more than the 2-2 artifact creature just to play as like a 2-3 blocker and kind of get like a good amount of stats defensively early. Certainly not prioritizing either of those. Yeah, I don't like the 2-mana creatures in general very much. Given an aggressive black-white start to the draft, how highly would you value the black equipment over, say, a black cave? Uh, the black equipment, I assume we're talking about the uncommon, you can spend three mana or discard a card and it gives a creature plus two plus one. Uh, I would not value it very highly. Um, I only think that I want to put it in my deck if I'm in like the five plus cheap flyer kind of space. So as far as like comparing it to a cave, I would say that uh, like the caves are 
certainly a lower priority the more of the like aggressive flyers you have and the more you're in that space. I think the answer is that I wouldn't value either of these cards very highly, but uh, I guess if I'm like really getting there on the aggressive deck and it seems open and I'm like actually happy to be drafting it, then maybe the equipment. You said similar things about there being an aggressive and controlling version of blue-white too. Is that something inherent to white in this format? It's something that I think Wizards actively tries to design for a lot of the time, um, and something that I think is often true. As to the extent to which it's a function of the white cards, yes, I do think there's some of that in that, like, Miner's Guidewing and uh, Glorifier of Suffering and Iron Paw Aspirant and to some extent Ultec Cloud Guard are fundamentally pretty aggressive cards uh, where um, especially Quicksand Whirlpool is a much better controlling card and uh, then there are also like cards like Ultic Archaeologists is not a card you'd ever want to play in an aggressive deck that you could play in a control deck. So I, I do think that the white commons are such that um, you know, they, they can support, uh, you know, some are definitely a lot better in one than the other. And so that like leads to it being more likely the case that like uh, prioritizing either set of commons is viable. How do you value the 1BB mini wrath at uncommon? I value it reasonably highly, theoretically in best of three. I value it extremely low in best of one. I think it's really hard to have a deck where I would want to play it in best of one because I think it just has too many like really bad matchups. Um, that's the Cry of the Carnarium reprint that I'm blanking on the name of. One BB, uh, all creatures get minus two, minus two, exile creatures that died this way. For what it's worth, Mardu's the best performing three color pair among top 17 lands players. Can you speak to any red splashes you may find helpful in either black, white archetype? Again, I'm not trying to splash in aggressive decks as a rule, but uh, certainly the red-white uncommon 4-4 uh, would be among the most reasonable splashes in an aggressive deck. In the controlling deck, uh, as I mentioned, Cave-In is probably the best. After that, you're looking at you know typical red control cards like a Braid, um, and then to a lesser extent, uh, probably the um, torch and the three man artifact shock. I don't know that uh, these, like, you know, Mardu 17 lands, like, I, I don't know that those stats are specifically speaking to splashing red in a black white archetype versus just some other kind of, like, I don't know, Mardu Caves deck or whatever. Those are the red cards that come to mind. I'm interested in your thoughts on these specific cards Runaway Boulder. I think Runaway Boulder, that's the six mana flash ETB DL5 uh, cycling two card is pretty bad. Uh, I like it if you have Abuelo in your deck and otherwise I try not to play it. Guardian of the Great Door is the white, white four, four flyer that you have to tap for other things to play. I think that card's quite good and I think it meaningfully increases the amount that I am trying to play cards like Tinker's Tote, but it also just works really well with all the artifacts that I'm trying to play anyway, such as uh, Tithing Blade and Mephitic Draft and uh, the white artifacts like Clayfired Bricks. 
Kinjali's Dawn Runner. Uh, that's the uh, 2-0811 double strike uh, ETB Explorer that I think is pretty good in aggressive decks that are already trying to pump creatures. I think it plays amazingly well with Fungal Fortitude, and I think it's pretty close to actively bad um, in uh, the more controlling white-black decks. It is a card with a pretty high floor, um, like 1-1 one, one double strike draw a card and 2-2 two, two double strike for 3 are both pretty reasonable bodies, but it's just so off-plan with what I'm trying to do in the control deck that it's not where I want to be. Brood Rage Mycoid, that's the 4-3 for 3 in three a black, that if you've descended makes a 1-1 one, one fungus. I have never been tempted to put that card in any deck and don't really expect that to change at any point. Um, and Market Gnome, that's the white 1-mana 0-3 that uh, when it dies or when you craft with it from the battlefield, you gain a life and draw a card. I'm actually a pretty big fan of that card. Um, I think that it uh, saves you a decent amount of early damage in a lot of matchups and then is like a good uh, craft or sacrifice supply. And I'm just generally pretty invested in one mana plays. And uh, I, I think it's, it's really bad. Um, it, it's like a pretty matchup dependent card and certainly a dead draw if you expect that your deck is like ever trying to attack your opponent. But if you are drafting a deck that has like a lot of inevitability, then it's like not much of a liability because you're going to get your card back out of it. Uh, you haven't invested any meaningful amount of mana and that you probably weren't going to, like you were probably able to deploy it uh, on a turn where you wouldn't have been able to spend that mana on anything else, on, um, on something else otherwise. And it's reasonably likely to save you a decent amount of life. And it's like a disaster if you're a, for your opponent if like they have Tithing Blade and you have Market Gnome. So it gets some like kind of free wins. All right, it looks like that's that's it. So appreciate the prompts, everyone. Uh, thanks always for uh, listening. Thanks especially to those of you who are able to make it live and ask some questions. And that's it for this week. I will be back uh, next week with uh, the regularly scheduled uh, continuation of the podcast. So have a good week, and I'll see you then. Prepare for light speed.